Amen. All right. Good to see everybody. My name is Brian with the pastors here at the summit. We are going to have to do a lot of movements. So uh, we had a very full room, and we're also anticipating people to be trickling in, um, particularly thinking that we have a 1045 service. And so we don't want to have to make them like do a walk of shame from the back to the front, have to sit in the very front row because that's just not a kind thing to do. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do is let's start with this way. If you don't feel in any way uncomfortable, so I'm speaking to those of your leaders in the life of our church, sitting in these front corners over here, we put seats in these front corners, and I think it's a pretty decent view. It's good to see you guys, and I'll try to do this and turn around and uh, think about you guys as well. So if you're open to do that, could you just get up and come forward to the, the corner? That would be great if you could do that. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. Look at all these leaders. Isn't that amazing? Thank you very much for doing that. We have some room over there too. All right, and then if we can then from there squeeze so there are, avail- there are available seats on the ends, right? Because you don't have to have somebody come in. All right, so sorry, squeeze inward. Except for you guys on the side, go outward. Does that sound good? <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. Right, we're just thinking about that person showing up at like 1045 and not having to like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And uh, we, we would have loved them really well. All right. Thank you guys very, very much. Good to see you guys. Is it better from here? Here? Okay. All right. Just trying to make sure I can see everybody's beautiful face here at the exact same time. I can bring this back. I can bring this back. Okay. Well, happy Mother's Day. Um, love these all summits. The reason we do this is because while our church has grown to a place where um, we can only do this um, regularly in a three times a, uh, sorry, <clears throat> you hearing that? That'll throw me off as well. Is it, am I hearing that, or do, you, do I sound pleasant to listen to right now? No? <laughs> Is anybody hear that, like, ding, ding, ding? Is that there? Okay, sorry. I just, before we get started, just wanted to try to talk that out. I don't know if it's because I'm behind the baptismal now, and I just have, like, what is it, Tony? Is it, do you know what it is? Maybe it's the water. Yeah, I don't know. Is that good? Is that better? Okay. Sound good? Thank you. Thanks, Frankie. Appreciate that. All right. All right. So, um... We are wrapping up our Disrupted series. What we were doing was working through the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer, we said, were more than just a series of, I'm going to try moving up here. Sorry if you can't see me. Am I still pleasant to listen to? Yeah? Okay. I just can't tell. Sometimes I can't tell if it's like me or if it's, but if I don't want to talk for like 35 minutes, and you'd be like, this is unbearable. Um, and then there's this awkwardness of like, do we tell him? Do we not tell him? Um, so I feel like I sound better here, and I'll just sort of peek around and look at you, John, every once in a while, uh, make sure that you see and. Uh, Shane, what's up, bud? Um, so anyways, we're working through our Disrupted series, and the Disrupted series, we're working through the Lord's Prayer, and we were saying the Lord's Prayer was not just a series of kind of empty religious superstitious um, statements, but a series of declarations of disruption that alter our life beautifully and radically for the norm and, uh, from the norm. And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is this last line of forgiveness. Now, here's the guiding image I want you to kind of have in your mind as we think about forgiveness, is that of an intersection, okay? Now, immediately our mind goes to traffic intersections, which stresses us out. Uh, I don't want that, especially in a city like Denver. You know, one of the things about Denver is people actually come and visit you in Denver. Um, Like other places, people are like, I'll come see you, and they never come see you. But in Denver, they actually come see you, don't they? And uh, so my buddy Moochie, who preached here last Sunday, he came and actually saw me. And as we were driving through the neighborhood, he was like, you guys have no traffic rules here. Um, at all. There's just Ubers on sidewalks and 
like these scooters with four people piled up on them, just going wherever they want to go. Yesterday, I was driving to a wedding here at the building, and um, there was literally, I, this is, I don't know if anybody else saw this, right down Larimer Street on both lanes of traffic, seven dudes on mopeds, popping wheelies, coming directly at my minivan. I just stopped in the middle of Larimer Street, and I'm just like, there are no, there are no rules here, okay? So, so a traffic intersection, that stresses us out. I don't want you to think about a traffic intersection. I want you to think about an intersection of bodies of water. There's a term for this. It's called a confluence. So for example, we have Confluence Park, which has the South Platte River meet the Cherry Creek res- Reservoir in downtown, where you have these bodies of water intersect with one another to create together a greater, more rushing fervent stream. Now, one of the things we desire would happen in this disrupted series as we work through the Lord's Prayer is it would catalyze within our people a greater fervency of personal and corporate prayer. And I feel like that really links well with what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Now, what I want to talk to you about is the great confluence of prayer. That is three different streams of our life that when they intersect, create the greatest works of God in response to the greatest prayers of God's People. Now, I want to think, think about three different streams that come and meet together. The first would be this. It's just God's will. Is that we come to a place where God speaks through his word, and we start to see the world through the lens of, this is what God declares to be good, right, and true for the world around us. The second would be our desires, that God's will changes our desires to such a degree that we're not like guilted or obligated into wanting the things that God wants, but something changes in the deepest recesses of our soul where his desires and our desires are aligned. So God's will, our desires, and then third, our weakness, that when we look at the world and when we look at our lives through the lens of this is what God wants, this is what I desire, but we come to a place where we recognize like we're limited, we're finite, we can't just sort of strategize our way to health, we can't just propel our hearts to feel something. I think it's the confluence of those three streams where the greatest prayers of God's people emerge. Now, the reason I say all this is because as we talk about forgiveness, I feel like the concept of forgiveness that Jesus is going to be talking about is really the greatest case study and opportunity for us to pray some really great prayers, even as we're gathering together as one church in this place. So as we think about God's will, for example, I mean, Jesus talks all the time about forgiveness. It's a regular rhythm in the New Testament where he doesn't just say you should do it, but actually the clearest outward indicator that we inwardly grasp the forgiveness of God to us is the degree to which we forgive other people. Uh, It's pretty heavy when you think about it from that perspective. So God wills it. We desire it as well. You know, it's interesting because Forgiveness is not a particularly controversial topic, you know? Like, I think particularly in American culture, we would say somebody who has a forgiving spirit, that's an admirable quality that they have. I mean, even all sorts of studies that are about this of mental, emotional health are tied directly to the ability to forgive. I read a study from uh, Johns Hopkins uh, this past week. They said how um, studies have found that the act of forgiveness reaps huge rewards for your health, lowers the risk of heart attack, improves cholesterol levels in sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. So, you know, it's like when Jesus talks about forgiving people, you know, nobody's like, I'm so offended right now, right? We're like, yeah, that's, that's probably a good thing that we should do for other people. So, so God wills it. We desire it. But here's the thing about forgiveness. It is really hard. I choose the wording here intentionally. We, it feels impossible, and I would say even threatening to forgive, it feels impossible and threatening to give. I think once you get beyond the trivial stuff, right? Like there's, there's small ways that we wrong one another and we are wronged. But I'm talking about like deep wounds. I'm talking like you wake up on Mother's Day and it's hard for you to enjoy the day because of something that happened in your family. 
Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is I feel like I talk to a lot of people who are like, I would love to forgive. I just can't. You ever felt that before? Like, oh, I would love to. I would love to forgive myself. I would love to forgive those people. I would love to not walk in the room and just have hatred in my heart towards that person, but at the same time, I have to pretend like I don't have hatred in my heart. I'm like, I'm doing so good, or I love you so much, and inside, you're like, I hate you. I don't want to, I know that's dysfunctional. I know I don't want to, I don't want to operate that way. So let me, let me tell you something. If you've ever felt that way, if you're in a place with forgiveness where you're like, yeah, you know what? I affirm that God wants it. I even desire it, but I don't feel like I can propel my own heart to feel forgiveness towards somebody else or to myself, then this is um, a really good week for you to be here. And I'm going to ask that God moves in some really significant ways in this unique gathering. Um, even kind of the way we're going, to, we're going to take on this passage is a little bit different than what we normally do. Normally, I'm just kind of walking you through a passage of Scripture. But because we're not dealing with the controversial or even that complicated of a concept, what I'm going to do actually is we're just kind of like lead you through praying through um, this talk. And so I'm going to kind of talk about three different uh, implications, I think, of the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about here. And after each one, I'm just going to pause. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray together and ask that God would just bring to fruition this particular uh, nuance of what it means to be a people who are forgiven. Okay, so does that make sense? Three different implications of this. We'll pray through each one. We'll pause and pray, and then we'll uh, be done after the third one. So here's the first thing I've been praying for us for this uh, coming week. One, that, Father, you would make us quick to repent. Quick to repent. So when I say repent, what I mean is we acknowledge that we're wrong as well as we walk away practically from a pattern of living where we um, are doing something that's wrong. Look at the first line there. Jesus says, and forgive us our sins. Now, here's the point that Jesus is making here. This is going to blow your mind. You ready for this? We need to be forgiven. Okay, everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, he says, forgive. Who's he, who's he making this request of? Well, the father that he started this prayer off with. Forgive, <clears throat> all right, forgive what? Us, our sins, which sin is simply any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act or attitude or nature. Now, the storyline of the history of the world is this. As God made us, he gave us the very breath that fills up our lungs. I know that Denver attracts really talented people, but let me tell you what none of you are talented enough to do is to will your own existence into being. Your existence is a gift. It was given to you by the God who fearfully and wonderfully made you for a relationship to him. But all of us, both by nature and by choice, have chosen to play God rather than allow God to be God over our lives. We have, and every single time we do sin, it is in its very essence an act of treason and a declaration of war. It's that serious. It's treason because we are trying to usurp God's rightful place as the sole authority of the king over our hearts. It is a declaration of war because we are resisting the rightful advancement of God's kingdom over the totality of our lives. And some of us, we just do it outright, like we know what's right, and we know what God said, and we're just like, no, I don't, I don't really want to do that. Or we find clever ways to reinterpret stuff to make it not apply to us. And a lot of times, we just do it by accident. I'm particularly empathetic to this because I'm not somebody who grew up a lot around the whole Christianity thing. And I even remember for a while almost feeling like I was off the hook because like I just, nobody told me what to do. You know, but I've actually shifted my perspective on that in the last couple of years, um, where it's like, how serious is it that I never wrestled with questions for the first two decades of my life of like, huh, like I wonder where I came from. I wonder if like somebody made me, because I didn't make me. 
Um, I wonder if somebody made me. I wonder if that person who made me is alive and around and is spoken and have certain boundaries and, and ways that I should live. I wonder if I should ask any of those deeper questions of the significance of life. And they'll be like, no, I don't want to. Um, I'm going to go back and play GoldenEye on Nintendo 64 or something like that. And, uh, and uh, shout out to the 90s kids. And, uh, and uh, yeah, get on, get on with my life. And so we've all sinned whether accidental or purposeful, whether by nature or by choice. And the scriptures say that the consequence, the wages, the debt of sin is death. Now think about this. Society is structured in such a way that when somebody wrongs somebody else, a debt is created. Society functions this way, for example, that somebody commits a crime and then they stand trial for that crime and then the judge hopefully gives an adequate sentencing to have that person pay back their debt to society. That's the way that society functions. It's the way the cosmos functions as well. There is a debt that is created when we sin against a holy, perfect, eternal God who gives us the very gift of the breath that fills up our lungs. Now, what is the debt that comes with sinning against the God who gave us life? It's death not just in this life, but also in the life to come. It is the natural consequence of rejecting our creator is death. But God is incredibly gracious. God is eager to forgive. And God is not only eager to forgive, but he's eager to provide a path of forgiveness as well through the gift of Jesus in our place so that our debt might be paid. That's what ha- what's happening when Jesus Christ goes to the cross. Why is Jesus dying? Because we needed to pay a debt of death. Why is Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father, we were deserving of the Father forsaking us for our sin. Why does the Father turn his face away? Because we were deserving of the Father to turn his face away from us for our sin. Sin. Why does he cry out, it is finished? Because he's declaring that anything that would rightfully separate us from God has been placed rather on the children of God, onto the eternal Son of God, so that we might receive the gift of forgiveness and a brand new identity. And every single time you pray the Lord's Prayer, if you've ever prayed it before, and you say this line, would you forgive us our sins? That is what we're saying. That is what we're saying. We're like, would you forgive me? And we cherish it. We say, this is my identity now. Would you, would you please, would you, would you forgive me in this way? I feel led to say this. Um, maybe this seems very simple to some of you, but I find more and more this is very complicated. I think for those of you who are exploring Christianity, it's easy a lot of times to believe that the front door into Christianity is being good enough for God. The opposite is true for Christianity. It's what differentiates Christianity from all other worldviews and faith systems, okay? Other worldviews and faith systems say, do good enough things to be good enough for God. We say, you'll never be good enough for God, but God is good. And God is good to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. So the front door into the Christian faith is not you pretending you're perfect, but actually confessing that you're not, Do you understand? The front door into the Christian faith is not your perfection, but rather your repentance, your humility to say, gosh, I am so bad, I am so sinful, I need a savior, and I cherish the fact that God is faithful to forgive, okay? Now, here's what we're gonna pray off of this, is, Father, would you make me quick to repent? We should have this here as well. So we're gonna transition to time of prayer, and then we'll come back for the second point here in a second. 
But let me just say this, is that I'm borrowing this from Paul um, in Romans 2. Paul says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And now I'm going to borrow from another Paul, but this is a modern guy named Paul, named Paul Tripp. He says this, denying or minimizing your sin is a desperate attempt to hold on to your own righteousness, but it makes no sense when Jesus has become your righteousness. That's why I began this whole thing of just being like, hey, I know this is hard to believe, but like we should just be expectant to have to ask for forgiveness a lot in our lives. And that is liberating. It is liberating because you know what kills pride? Pride kills. I was thinking about this. In 1986, the space shuttle Challenger blew up. And um, probably most of you, you know, have no, maybe you've never even heard of this before, but it immediately just, just blew up and um, killed the entire crew in it. Absolutely tragic. And everybody was trying to wrap their mind around, like, what, what was the cause? Like, what was the mechanical failure? And it's interesting. The New York Times, they did this investigative study, and here was their conclusion. They said the chief reason the shuttle blew up was pride. It was pride. All the information was there. All the people had been confronted with the evidence. Everybody had been told, hey, if you just, like pride is destructive. It kills. And I just feel led to, you know, it's just like, it's amazing to me, not just people in general, but Christians who claim the finished work of Jesus as their basis of salvation, the degree to which we in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, like just don't apologize. Or if we apologize, it's like kind of like we insult the person in the midst of the apology, right? Like, like you ever been on the other side of this where we're like, well, I'm sorry, but if you weren't so anger-inducing, then I wouldn't be angry. So really, you should apologize, right? It's like, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, like what's, what's underneath all of that is self-righteousness, clinging to a righteousness, us trying to convince that other person that we're better than we are. But you know what breathes health into families? You know what breathes health into friendships? You know what breathes health into roommate situations? You know what breathes health into our relationship with our kids? Is our repentance. The people in your life that matter the most, you know what they need from you is not your perfection, but your regular confession you're not perfect. And the gospel liberates us to be that way and just to apologize. And I know it almost seems so simple, like it's like, why are we even talking about this? But can I just get an amen of like how hard this is to actually do in our lives, right? Yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? So um, let's pray and like let's ask God that he would help us do that. So Father, we love you. We're thankful that um, you, you have seen us for who we really are and you didn't abandon us, but you went to the cross to die for us. And you give us a new identity, not because we perform, not because we were good enough, not because we could trick you into loving us, um, but because you love us. You love us because you love us. And you give us a righteousness outside of ourselves. So God, let us be men and women who are marked by humility and vulnerability and a quickness to repent. Uh, would you just even right now kill in all of our hearts um, when conflict arises, to reinterpret that conflict for here's why I was totally right and you were totally wrong. God, would you kill in our hearts and our marriages um, our desire to feel like when we have an argument, what we're trying to do is win an argument. Like the reality is, is if one of us win an argument, we both lose. You've called us to one fleshness, not to like victory over the opponent, our spouse. God, would you change that for us? With our kids, with our kids, I think even like, I see this with my own kids, they get to an age where even like from the age of four or five, they start telling you like where you've messed up, um, which could be like ra 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 uh, very uh, anger inducing because it's like, 
don't you tell me that. Um, and, and it can just be easy, just to, and especially with a small child, we can win an argument so quickly, and we can dismiss them. God, we thank you for the wisdom that comes from our kids, and we're thankful for the way that they see us, um, a lot of ways for who we really are. And I pray that we'd be quick to repent to our kids as well, God. Let us not be scared of that. Let us not be ex- scared of being exposed because we've already been exposed before you and you gave us life, not death. You gave us acceptance, not rejection. You gave us adoption to a family, not abandonment, God. And let that stir up confidence. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, <clears throat> that's one. Two, Father, liberate me to forgive myself. Let the gospel be the lens through which I view myself and that I'm able to forgive myself. Now, um, here's the unique Mother's Day portion of the sermon. Um, Being a parent is an exercise of experiencing regular guilt and shame on yourself, right? Um, I I thought about this when we were adopting my oldest daughter. I read uh, Jim Gaffigan, he's a, a comedian, his book on parenting. And he had this line, I thought about like, I, I read this like six years ago, but he said this, he said, I wasn't ready for the guilt of being a parent. And from that, he was comparing like growing up in this like really staunch, unhealthy Catholic environment. And he was like, the religious guilt I experienced had nothing on parental guilt. Uh, he was like, you had nothing on parental guilt. He said, no matter how hard you try to be a good parent, you always know that deep down you could do more. I feel guilty when I travel out to do shows. I feel guilty when I'm in town and I don't spend every moment with my children. I feel guilty when I'm spending time with my children, not doing something constructive toward their intellectual development. I feel guilty when I feed them unhealthy food they like. I feel guilty when I feed them unhealthy food they don't like. And... Um, I thought a lot about that. It's been like really assuring because sometimes when you just feel guilty, you assume you're the only one, right? Does everybody ever feel that way? I feel that way all the time. So for example, on Wednesday, um, it's like, you know, I try not to keep hours of what exactly I do, but it's basically from about seven in the morning until like 8.30 at night, I've either um, been working for my family or working for our church. And so, you know, it's like, 12, 13-hour day, something like that. And just like, like, so I finally, you know, it's like it starts to get about 7 o'clock, and I'm like, I can't wait to get my kids to bed and get them down. NBA playoffs starting at 8.30. I'm going to sit down. I've had this time perfectly. I'm going to have a popsicle, creamy coconut, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to be in a good place. And so I sit down, finally get the kids down, right? And it's just like both of them are like, no, no, no. And you just sort of elevate a little bit, and you're just like, go to bed. Like, I love you, but go to bed. And, um, you know, and, and you're sort of in this headspace of like the greatest gift that God could give me is they would just be asleep and I could just be alone and I could just think. And I, and I did it. Like, so like 827 or whatever, I'm down, creamy coconut popsicle on the couch, NBA playoffs on the TV. I'm so happy. And then because it's almost Mother's Day, they're doing all these commercials with families and kids and stuff like that. And I don't even remember which one it was. It might have been Subaru. I can't remember exactly who it is. But, like, you know, like, all these commercials that, like, show, like, a dad bringing home their baby from the hospital, and then, like, the next scene is, like, they're two, and then the next scene's they're four, and the next scene's they're in college, and the next scene's they're in, you know, and it's, like, life goes fast. Protect them while you can, or whatever, whatever it is. And I'm just sitting there, like, oh, I am a terrible parent, and I'm, I've wasted the day, and why didn't I enjoy, like, why didn't I enjoy putting them to bed? Why didn't I, like prayerfully get on both knees and for a half hour just like lord would you and um that's parenting in a nutshell you know i don't know if that's encouraging to, or not to any of you and and so many parents i talk to just feel that way like 
You pour out your entire, like anybody objectively would be like, so you just spent 99% of your day serving everybody else around you and you feel shameful about the 1%. Like, yeah, that's pretty, much, that's pretty much how I feel uh, every single day. And probably a lot of you feel that way too. And so because, because I think there's so much guilt that comes with parenting, here's what I would say. is like, I know we laugh at all that, but what I see a lot of times is that guilt goes to a place of shame and self-hatred a lot of times. And, and goes to a place of um, just being like, I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good dad. My kids' problems are because of me. And compounding all this, you know, the mommy blogs that are like, oh, your kid's acting up. Like, here's the three steps to fix it. And you're like, it's not working. And, um, and it, just, it just feels like something's uniquely broken about you, uniquely dysfunctional with you, um, uniquely bad about you. And you can just go to a really unhealthy place of just feeling like a failure day in and day out. We were actually even talking about this on our staff. It's funny that in most um, job positions, there are two things that breed uh, career happiness. One is a sense of achievement, and one is a sense of um, uh, just encouragement. You know what, uh, you know what doesn't, you don't get when you're a parent? It's a sense of achievement or encouragement. You don't get either of those things, right? Like, like anybody had their toddler in the middle of changing them, just being like, thank you so much. Like, this is unpleasant for you. It's kind of nasty. And um, thank you. Thank you. So it's like, no, they're just like, they're either silent or they're like, do it better. Do it better. Um, and so, and so, yeah. And so what, what do we say that then? For those of you, I'm sure there's a lot of you wrestling with that, right? You wake up on Mother's Day. And, you know, there's all this celebration, and you're great, and there's this this voice inside you that's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Well, we pray. And our prayer is this, is that, Father, let the gospel be the lens through which I view myself. I feel like I'm having more and more conversations with people in the life of our church who will even say things like, yeah, I know that God loves me, but it's hard for me to love me. I know that God forgives me, but it's hard for me to forgive me. And what I would say, one, is just sort of humbly to you, what I would love for the Spirit to stir up in your life is a yearning for God's approval to be more important than, like, your own approval. And for God's opinion would actually shape your own opinion, even of yourself. And that God's opinion would conquer that. Now, again, all of us would probably be like, yeah, I'd love that, but it's hard for that to happen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In particular, I was thinking of Lamentations 3, that says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I would just pray. I just want to say this one more thing, and then we'll pray. Is that a lot of times, I feel like when we feel like we're messed up, we feel like we have to beat ourselves up to, like, punish ourselves. But you know what? The good news of the atonement of Jesus is he already took all the blows we deserve for our dysfunction. And consequently, we do not have to have a posture of shame or self-hatred or beating ourselves up, but a posture of victory and humility and vulnerability and repentance. God, would you stir that up in us as your people? I'm sure there are a lot of people here, parents or not, who just have this posture of feeling like they're worthless. They do not matter. Um, they are, um, they're messing up their kids and uh, have some really deep and dark thoughts about that. God, by the power of your spirit right now, would you just dismiss those thoughts? Would you give them the power 
to proclaim the truth of the gospel, that you see us for who we really are, but you don't abandon us. You accept us and you change us. Even what we just already said, that we are given the gift of um, not having to be perfect for you, but repentant for you. And consequently then, there's this ability to be okay not being okay. And to say like, look, like the, the health of my kids is not dependent on my performance as a parent, but instead by my repentance and humility and regularly as a parent, pointing my kids to the perfect one, Jesus Christ. He's the hope of our families. He's the hope of our marriages. He's the hope of our friendships. He's the hope of our church. God, let us really believe that. Amen. All right, third and finally, a prayer for the forgiveness of others. So Jesus in the next line, he says, and forgive us our sins for or as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he is emphasizing an incredibly biblical, a prominent biblical theme that the clearest outward indicator that we possess the forgiveness of God in our hearts is our willingness to forgive other people, okay? Think of it this way. Uh, I think this is a mother's, uh, appropriate Mother's Day uh, illustration. Um, so for those of you who became moms biologically, something happened that made you start to think, I might be pregnant, right? So like in my family, it's nausea for my wife. Um, extreme nausea. That She can be like upstairs, and I open the fridge, and she's like, what's that smell? It's terrible. And it's like, oh, boy, we're having a baby. That's, that's a... <laughs> Um, so there's suspicion, right? There's suspicion. <laughs> um, good suspicion, suspicion. And then you, uh, you take a test, right? And the test is basically this outward indicator of like what's going on inside your body, right? You take the test and a plus sign or whatever comes up and you're like, there's a baby in there. Okay, awesome. Okay, everything's changing. I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> That, that's what an indicator does. That's what a test does, right? So, so the point that Jesus makes when he's saying that we forgive, for, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us, is the indicator, the test of whether or not the forgiveness of the gospel is in our hearts is whether or not we are outwardly able to extend forgiveness to others. I mean, this is a regular biblical theme. Paul says, for example, in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It says in Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And Jesus himself says this even more explicitly in Matthew 6. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the point he's making, is basically, if you want to know what's in your heart as it pertains to the forgiveness of God, look at the way that we outwardly forgive people that um, wrong us. So, this is the hard one. Why well, they're all hard, but this is the really hard one. This is the really hard one. I think especially when you get into the realm of not easy to forgive stuff, but deeply wounding concepts of forgiveness. So here's what we're going to pray, and I'll explain this here a little bit. It's, Father, let my forgiveness clearly reflect my understanding of how much I've been forgiven by you. So notice that's a shift in the tone, because I think a lot of times we feel like we can extend forgiveness to others as long as they're deserving of it. But if the forgiveness of Jesus is shaping us, well, what have we already said? What, what were we not deserving of was the forgiveness of God. Did he give it? Yes. And it's that understanding of forgiveness that transforms our understanding of forgiving other people as well. Now, there's, there's nuance here. When we're saying forgiveness, what we're not saying is the way that I was treated was okay. 
when we're saying forgiveness, what we're not saying is um, even the same thing as reconciliation. There's a lot of nuance there because reconciliation is a two-way street. And even one of the things that we, uh, we pray for you guys before our services, and one of the things we were praying for you was that you would be able to, even as difficult situations are arising in your head, by the power of the Spirit, have the discernment to know, okay, um, you know, where do I forgive and where do I forgive and I'm expectant of perfect reconciliation and we're best friends or we spend Thanksgiving dinner together all the time. So forgiveness is not the same as saying it's okay. It's not even the same as saying we're completely reconciled. But forgiveness is a declaration of saying that I will not hold this debt against you in the same way that God has chosen not to hold my debt against me. And not because I believe that your sin against me is small, but rather because I believe that God's forgiveness is huge. God's forgiveness is huge. And I believe somehow in the economy of God, every sin will eventually be dealt with, either in the past of the cross of Christ or either in the future in the pit of hell. And I am consequently then liberated not to live underneath the tyranny of unforgiveness. That's one of the great things I just feel burden-wise. We've talked about this before. I can't remember who said this, but you know, um, unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. And a lot of you probably are just dying on the inside. And that other person has moved on. And not only have they moved on, but their wrong against you is perpetuated from the past into the present and even to the future because it's just killing you from the inside. And I know that's like a really difficult thing because if we're talking about someone that's doing that and you, you were wronged so grievously and deeply. And so you're probably at a place where you're like, yeah, I would love to not feel this way. Thanks so much. And it's like, yeah, I would love for you not to as well. And thank goodness that our desires are right now in this moment aligned with the desires of God and we can confess our weakness and ask him to move. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, who um, was a, a Dutch woman who uh, was a survivor of the Holocaust as well as um, a big part of her ministry was helping uh, victims of the Holocaust recover. She said it was really interesting that basically the people who couldn't forgive, their lives ended when the Holocaust took place, even if they continued on living. And she said it was the people who were able to forgive these unbelievable atrocities who were able to find new life. Now, when she talked about that, she acknowledged, of course it's hard to forget. Like, she, she's, if anybody's not dismissive of forgiveness, it's Corey Ten Boom. And she was talking about that in her own life because her sister was killed in a Nazi concentration camp. And she has this line that I want to pray over us. Um, I'll, I'll connect it to scripture as well. Um, but for those of you who are struggling to feel forgiveness, you desire it, you know that God desires it, but you feel weak. Here's what, here's what Corey Ten Boom says. She says, when he, that is God, tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. I just want to reemphasize what Paul said here, that we would, or what's, what's our scripture reference here? I couldn't remember which one I provided. Is there a scripture reference? Yeah, right there. Uh, no, that's not it. There you go. Yeah, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So I just want to pray that for us. I want to pray that for us, and then that'll be the end. I'll uh, lead us into a time of response, and... Um, and yeah, we'll talk about where to go from here. Father, we're thankful for the mandate of forgiveness. Um, 
And I just want to pray in particular for my brothers and sisters here who just feel like they cannot forgive. They do not possess the power to forgive. God, would you right now, by the power of your spirit, would you give your kids the gift, not just of, um, not just of desiring forgiveness, but forgiveness itself. Would you right now, by the power of your spirit, who works in the nooks and crannies of the deepest recesses of our soul, relinquish. I just, I have the image of somebody like white knuckling something and just like letting it go. Like, would you just let people let go? Not because it's small, not because it's insignificant, not because it's okay, but because your forgiveness is huge. Your forgiveness is huge. The, the magnitude to which we have been forgiven by you is astounding. And the magnitude by which you can give, forgive other people, as well as that your justice reigns supreme. And so, this mysterious reality that every sin from the smallest to the largest is dealt with at the cross or in hell should let us feel like vengeance does not have to be ours, but that we are seen, that we are seen by you and you are shepherding us and caring for us. And so God, would you give us the gift of forgiveness? Would you give the gift of nuance for people who are trying to figure out, you know, who do they need to forgive and who do they need to perfectly reconcile with and be expectant of that? Who do they need to forgive and who do they need to invite back into their lives? Who do they need to forgive and who do they need to maintain boundaries with? Those are things that are really hard to know. But God, I just pray that what would um, conquer all is that you would give the gift of us being able to extend to others unmerited grace, just in the same way that you gave us unmerited grace, so that your people might flourish and so that we might not live underneath the tyranny of anger and hatred anymore. Would you give your kids that gift this morning? We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.